G'day, mates. The country, known for Great Barrier Reef, Bondi Beach, being the home of the world's oldest known civilization, and kangaroos that look like they have a gym membership, Australia is the 12th biggest economy in the world by GDP, and it's among the list of countries with GDP per capita of over 50,000 US dollars. The country, also known as the Wonder Down Under, takes pride in witnessing the longest continuous GDP growth run. After 1991, the country didn't see any recession for nearly three decades. The country with the long coastlines even surfed its way through the 2008 financial crisis without getting much affected. A whole generation in Australia didn't even know what recession was up until 2020. For years, the continent nation remained at a disadvantage for its remoteness from major trading markets like North America and Europe, but the late 20th century resulted in the rise of emerging markets in East and South Asia. It is said that you are known by the company you keep, and the company and trade with countries China and Japan, along with the added power of globalization, made the Australian economy stronger than ever. Estimated at nearly 20 trillion US dollars, Australia has the 10th highest value of natural resources. While the presence of natural resources does not guarantee economic prosperity, and there are plenty of examples, Australia has managed to do very well with its natural resources and meeting the demands of the eastern emerging markets. While the huge demand from some eastern countries contributed significantly to the Australian economy, it has also made the country's trade disproportionately dependent on them, more specifically on China. The growing influence of China has started to worry some Western countries like the United States who wants to stay as the leading economy of the world. These Western powers have been actively riling up other countries against China. Australia, backed by the United States, has been provoking China on matters including Chinese treatment of Uyghur Muslims and transparency on the origins of the 2020s disease and so on. The Australian politicians wanted to provoke China but at the same time they didn't want to lose exceptionally profitable trade with it. Well, you can't have it both ways. It takes years to win a customer and only a second to lose one. The news media kept on highlighting the matter egotistically, emphasizing whether the economies of Australia and China are interdependent or if one side can push the other to do more. This went on for quite some time and the Aussie politicians thought they would just say anything they wanted to say and then have a barbie on the beach. But the blokes in China were no bogans. They listened to all this and simply responded, Good on you, mate. And then they added tariffs on Australian imports. The truth is, China has other alternatives, even though a bit expensive. But Australia has no other big customers like China with huge demand. This gives China a better edge in negotiating the whole matter. Okay, before you call us a commie or a CCP troll, let's look at it from the Australian point of view. Australia's intention to merely look for opportunities in other overseas markets and to provide some longer-term insurance for the economy is natural. But this can't happen unless the country diversifies its economy at home using domestic reforms and getting into more complex sectors other than mining that could be exported to other countries. Many would argue that mining is not the only reason and the Australian economy is now more dependent on the services sector. This is true, but again, such arguments usually neglect the impact of one sector on others. The economy of any country is a complicated beast and has tons of interrelated factors. Also, if you notice, there has been an absolute insistence by many advanced economies, almost in a defensive way, that their economy is not dependent on their prime sector. 
That's like negating the role of banks in Switzerland or oil in Norway and similarly mining in Australia. The funny thing is that in these examples, the services sector always happens to be around 70% of the GDP. Do you get what we're trying to say here? Anyways, truth be told, the Australian economy is not the best when it comes to diversification. Here is the list of the top 20 countries on the Economic Complexity Index. The Australian economy cannot be seen until you cross the 80th position. In simpler words, it's too many eggs in few baskets. Iron, coal, and gas make up a huge portion of its net exports. The country also adds little value to its resources, which means it exports raw materials to other countries instead of using its workforce to create value for itself. Australia needs to thoroughly re-examine its relationship with China. Are they actually concerned about issues it has raised or are they acting as a proxy for the US against China? Or is it simply an opportunity to see the country's economy from a different perspective and push for diversification? Australia is home to nearly 26 million people. There are over 7.6 million migrants, which means around 30% of the Australian population were born overseas. After the end of the White Australia policy in 1973, Australia has officially followed multiculturalism and its immigration policies remained a good reflection of it. A good climate and standard of living is a great attraction for the immigrants, including the students, skilled workers, and also the wealthy individuals who invest in the country. The immigration process was halted in 2020, except for some Hollywood celebrities. Australia has one of the lowest population density to land. This could invoke a sense of isolation for someone who has lived in densely populated countries. Although for Australians, that's probably normal and their way of life. How does this relate to economics? Well, this does not allow the creation of urban street life and markets. For example, when it comes to the restaurant industry, Australians are quick to define their country as a culturally diverse nation, probably because Australia does not have the best traditional food industry. Sorry, we didn't count the Vegemite or roasted lamb with Vicky Butter. The restaurant industry usually attracts customers who are interested in food from other countries like Indian, Chinese, Thai, and so on. Although, Australians take their coffee very seriously, and the failure of Starbucks in the country is a good example of that. Australia suffers from an immense lack of historical diversity and cultural values. The lack of nightlife makes it look different from countries that have a quality of nightlife culture. This directly impacts the domestic market and consumption. While you can certainly disagree with that from a subjective point of view, but Australia is no Rome or Spain or Hong Kong. Australia ranks third in the list of countries on the Economic Freedom Index. The country is also among the top 20 countries on the Ease of Doing Business Index. Australia is in the top 15 list of countries that spend most on research and development. While the country has seen an increase in the total amount spent in this sector, the total R&D spending as a percentage of GDP has seen a gradual decrement after 2008. The government's debt has been on the rise after the 2008's financial crisis, but remains lower than the other advanced economies. The Australian economy witnessed a continuous current account deficit for over 45 years until 2019. Reasons included a narrow export base, heavy dependence on capital goods from overseas, low level of national savings, and governments borrowing money from the domestic sector that pushes the private sector to seek funds from overseas. The account surplus seen in the last couple of years would have a positive impact on the economy. Australia ranks the highest when it comes to the minimum wage. 
High wages are also great to attract more immigrants, although it's not good when it comes to the manufacturing industry, which has seen a decline over the years. Company offshoring is also one of the consequences of high wages. While the country boasts about high average wages, the cost of living is very high too. The Australian dollar is the fifth most traded currency in the world. The country also has one of the largest managed pools of investment funds. The country also boasts about having one of the highest mean and median wealth per adult. Mean net worth is the average net worth. In other words, it is assessed by dividing the total wealth of the entire country by the number of adults. Wealth is always unevenly distributed, so that does not mean every Australian is worth the mean value. A better figure is using the median wealth data, but even that number does not apply to everyone. The median wealth represents a value that is in the middle of all those numbers, which means half the population is below that value and half is above it. The governments around the world, generally speaking, wants you to save less and spend more. This continuous spending gives the economy the necessary stimulation and keeps the demand and supply cycle running. But it's not good for the citizens to never be able to save enough, especially not having enough saved for their retirement. This isn't good for the governments either if they have to provide benefits to the older citizens who can take care of themselves. Australia has this program called superannuation, which seems to provide a good fix for this whole scenario. This requires you to put a government-nominated percentage, currently 9.5% of the wage, into a superannuation scheme of your choice that goes towards providing funding for your retirement. Pretty cool, isn't it? It shifts some of the burdens away from the government and onto the individuals. In short, the government has to worry less about the retired people, and people have to worry less that they aren't saving enough, because we all know how well most of the people are with savings. In short, it is beneficial both for the government and for the people. While the country ranks high on the quality of life index, household debt in Australia is one of the highest in the world, leveraged mostly for the purchase of properties. Seeing huntsmen and daddy longleg spiders occasionally is less of a problem for Australians and so is the poor internet. What is more problematic is witnessing the ever-growing housing prices. This obviously isn't a problem for the homeowners and also the so-called baby boomers who want their land and housing assets to appreciate. Australia's home ownership rate is over 65%, which is good, although not one of the best. Those who own houses are rich by world standards. Those who do not own are using a large proportion of their income in rent or mortgage. Slowly, a greater number of young individuals are actively trying to pursue a lifestyle they see others are capable of affording. But the newer generation is locked out of buying houses in more desirable areas. One of our friends told us that the cheapest house in Australia is the House of Representatives. This is obviously a joke, but it would give you an idea of how heated this topic is. But looking at how average-looking houses are sold for millions of dollars, it won't be wrong to say that the housing prices are inflated. There could be various factors for this whole matter. Australia is among the countries with the highest urban population concentration, with over 85% of the people living in urbanized areas, with a majority of the population living within 50 kilometers of the coastlines. Country towns are offering more affordable prices, but people have been constantly trying to buy up into the more desirable areas and even paying off investor mortgages. This makes less affluent people miss out on the opportunity of owning a house. Maybe a high-speed bullet train network within the cities and other areas and some other infrastructure spending could disperse the population. First homeowner grant by the government is another factor. 
Another factor is rich immigrants and foreign investments in property. These investors, generally speaking, can outbid locals in the real estate market. In other words, for locals, it's hard to compete against the Shanghai money printing press. As a supposedly Chinese saying goes, may you live in interesting times. Lending practices of the banks are another factor. Add low interest rates on top of it and it becomes easier to borrow money, which results in investors having more money to invest in more property. On the other hand, increasing the interest rates would also make it harder for first-time would-be homeowners. Negative gearing. That investor used to reduce their taxable income and later profit from the increase in the value of the property has become a government-funded cash cow. However, going after the negative gearing could result in increased rents. Some economists believe that as economies grow and their infrastructure gets upgraded, all excess wealth is manifested in increased property prices. They also suggest abolishing the income tax and replacing it with land value tax, LVT, on the owners depending on the annual percentage of increment in the land value. But we can see this is an idea that's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Australia needs dramatically new ways of finding and utilizing opportunities in the new global economy. Diversification of trading partners would only occur when the economy itself has more diverse options to offer. Other than that, the Australian economy is quite qualified. It's hard to predict the future, but as they say, she will be right, mate. We hope you enjoyed the video. We will reply to everyone in the comment section below. Please like, subscribe, and share to support the channel.